there is no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, what you see is someone that continuously puts in the effort, puts in the work, gets better, picks up, develops valuable skill sets, and then starts making this transition. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey Podcast, where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible. Today's guest is Antonio Centeno. Hello, this is Yaro Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast interview. Today, I have a guest who I met at a conference recently. It was Chris Tucker's Youpreneur event in London, and it was the first time it was run, and I attended, and I sat down next to a gentleman who was probably slightly better dressed than everyone else in the room, wearing a suit, and uh, we struck up a conversation, and it was fantastic to discover that this particular man had uh, been well, reading my content at some point in time. I love hearing that. Uh, and then we proceeded to sort of follow each other around at the conference unintentionally. We kept sitting next to each other uh, at different places, which I think was quite funny. So uh, my guest today has a great story to share as well in terms of uh, business success, in particular with YouTube, which I think is a hot topic right now. So let me give you a, a rundown. So my guest today has a YouTube channel called Real Men, Real Style uh, that's got approximately, as I record this, 1.65 million subscribers. He's got a million dollar business this year, and he actually spent six months of the year traveling around the world with four kids in tow with his family. So that's not an easy task either. Uh, as you can probably guess from the Real Men, Real Style tag, it is a business regarding men's style and presentation and grooming and clothing and so on. So we're going to dive in and find out how this business makes money, how uh, the YouTube channel grew, and of course, everything in the background story of my guest, who I should probably introduce now. So uh, Anthony, I didn't ask you how to pronounce your last name, Anthony, but I'm assuming it's Centino. Is that right? Close, close. It's Centeno, like a single cent. And and Yarrow, I, I have to say, I have been a fan for a decade. And you can't say that about too many people because I think a decade on internet years is like, you know, 70 years, normal <laughs> yeah. stuff. But I remember back in 2007, 2008, finding your MP3s that you had uploaded. And this is before iTunes, uh, before, you know, there were, there were all, all the stuff, that, you know, podcasts didn't exist. We just simply, it was, you had recorded the audios and I loved it. And I remember just listening to your interview. I think it was you had interviewed with Andrew Warner over at Mixergy mm -hmm. early on. And that led me to what you were doing. And I, it was just opening my eyes, like blowing me away. I remember I was a big fan of Gideon as well, Gideon mm -hmm. Chadwick. And I'm like, man, what are these? Guys, what's in the water down and down under? Because apparently <laughs> these guys, I know, I know Gideon's a Kiwi, but uh, I was just like, man, these Australians—they're kicking butt. Like I gotta follow. And, and I just loved what you were doing, and it was something that I, I definitely took a lot of value from your early interviews. And I encourage anyone to go back and read. I love your stuff because it's timeless. And you have seen so much. I mean, you've been doing online stuff for what blew me away. You said 20 years almost? Almost now, yeah. 20, 2018 will be the 20-year anniversary. So yeah. it's, a, it's a long time in internet years, like you said. Yeah, it, but you've done such a great job of actually keeping your information in many ways timeless. Because what you talk about, I, I, I see some of your, your content you wrote 10 years ago is still applicable today. And that's why I think I was drawn to it and why I still you know, occasionally find it and check it out. 
I'm actually curious, what, what was your stage at that point in, in 2007? Because I know you have an, an army background and you have a, a less than best dress background. I've been doing a bit of research on you, Anthony, before we started. And I saw the, the flannel shirts uh, period of your life as well. So you've yes. had quite an evolution. Where were you around 2007? What was I was point? starting my first company. I had uh, So it's one of those things you, you, you thought you start off thinking you know everything and then you realize very quickly that you don't know Jack. And it was 2007. I started my first company, a tailored suit, which was an online clothier. But before that, I'd gone to business school for two years, which lucky for me, I was able to get in for free. I was a combat vet. I, yes, I did serve in the United States Marine Corps, got to take a few trips over to Afghanistan, Iraq, all those fun places where they get to send you. And I got out and I'm like, you know, that's That was cool. That was fun. But I really wanted to be able to spend more time with my, at the time, fiance now, then she became my wife. And it was something that I had seen the power of the web running. I was in Ukraine running a nonprofit after I left the Marines. And I remember just, we went to orphanages and it was something that we worked with them. And I remember taking the photo. I was just had a nice camera. I took a lot of digital photos and then I would upload them onto the web. And this was not many people were doing this at the time. And I was putting this stuff up there and I saw that our donations just tripled whenever I put up these pictures of the children that we were helping. And, and that opened my eyes to the power of the web. Another interesting thing in Ukraine, I actually had a custom suit made by a traveling tailor. There was just a guy that was happened to be in Kiev for uh, a couple weeks out of the year. And he stopped in because I was going out to these fancy business schools, you know, Harvard, Cornell, and I knew I wanted to look good. Uh, I ended up going to UT, kind of forgot about all that internet stuff, almost got sold into going to Goldman Sachs or McKinsey and company, these high level where that you make a, well, what's viewed by them as a lot of money. But, and, uh, and yeah, in 2007, I got fired from my first job out of business school. And I was like, what, what better time to start a company? So I started a tailored suit going back to that experience in Ukraine, it was like, I talked to this Indian guy and he said he was making uh, $300,000 a year and he had a fourth grade education. I'm like, well, I've got a fancy MBA. I should be able to become a millionaire within a year and I can just scale this and do this thing online. So the idea for that first business when I was listening to you in 2007 was that somebody could enter their measurements on a website and I would deliver a handmade suit to their door within four weeks based off just those measurements. Now, that business tried hard with it, but I wasn't able to make it a go to this day. Some of my early competitors, companies like Indochino and a suit that fits, uh, they have now grown into multi-million dollar companies. So it's pretty interesting to watch how that industry grew. But one thing I think I learned from your podcast and or, or your you know website and some of the other ones out there like Mixergy stuff is that look at what works and repeat that instead of stopping to focus in on these things that weren't working. And the one thing that did work with my company, it wasn't making money. It was actually getting a lot of traffic that we were getting a hundred thousand visitors uniques a month. Mm. And I was like, why are we getting all this traffic? Because I had written 35 articles on men's style that were really, really good. And it was basically a library that I put together. And I did this to teach myself because I didn't know a whole lot about style. I didn't know a whole lot about fashion, but I figured that, and I was a big fan of self-learning and I'm like, I can teach myself this and I can be the guy that brings the tailors together because I don't have to make it. I, I had tailors I was working with in, uh, Th- in Thailand and over in Hong Kong. I can bring them the customers and I just need to, with my website, 
give that look that we're a professional. So I created these 35 articles, spent a lot of time researching, learning, writing them. And because they were the best, they were good. Google rewarded me in 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, there just wasn't a whole lot of good information about men's style out there. And I started getting all this traffic. And interestingly enough, it brought me to the attention of a guy named Brett McKay over at The Art of Manliness. When he was getting started, he said, hey, you know, I've written one article on men's style and I don't know what I'm doing here. You obviously can write well. You want to write with me. I like this mission. And he ended up blowing up over the you know couple of years I was writing for him. And that then opened my eyes to what really I could create because it wasn't really, I wasn't really making too much money with that clothing. But what I was good at was creating good information for men to basically be able to take style and make it applicable to what they do. And I was like, you know, I could, I could really turn this into the business. So that was the seed mm -hmm. for Real Men Real Style coming out of that. And in 2007, I was not at the point where I'd started this current company, but I was still learning. And, and again, your information, so much of that free information online, it was so much more valuable than that, than that fancy MBA and all that other mm -hmm. training I got. So I'd, I'd love to continue that story to the today's business. But before we do that, I am really curious about your background because it, it doesn't sound like, you know, men's style and, and even entrepreneurship was your plan growing up, you know, as a young man. So could you take us back in time? Uh, I know you were born or you lived and grew up in the States, right? So um, that's true. Can you, well, take us from that point, born and raised. Okay. So I was born in California, but I was raised in, primarily in West Texas. And my dad, my parents were divorced and my dad would come pick me up, drive all the way out from California. So we would go out to California every summer. And I think that had an impact on my view of the world. I wasn't really, you know, into everything that was there in West Texas. I knew there was something bigger because my dad would take us out to LA. Uh, I remember we were just walking down Overa Street and all these. I, I knew there was a bigger world than, than West Texas, but West Texas did a great job of giving me, I think, very down to earth type of, hey, this is hard work really matters. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the effort. I was surrounded by, you know, basically cowboys and we called them kickers, but these were guys that would, you know, put themselves in the position. I mean, they, they raised animals and when you raise animals, it's, it, you know, you got a farm, you've got a ranch. The thing is, is there's never a day off. Your animals don't accept the fact that, you know, Hey, you're not going to feed them today because you're sick or because you want to take a vacation. And I think being around that type of, of people really instilled in me, you know, you got to be persistent. You've got to put in the hard work. You've got to put forth the effort. Coming out of that area, it was something um, I wanted to get out. So I went and I went up to college in, in Iowa, a small liberal arts school. Again, gave me a bigger, broader view. I was never, though, really paying attention to how I dressed or to style. I wanted to be a paleontologist, of all mm, things, wow. when I was younger. I, I love the idea of dinosaurs, dinosaur bones. Then you start to see the reality of it's not what the movies portray. Stop doing what Indiana Jones does. Yeah. Uh, another idea, you know, so I wanted to be a Texas Ranger. I thought that would just be awesome. But then you start talking to law enforcement, you realize they're surrounding themselves every single day with people that, you know, they don't want to introduce to their friends. I mean, they're, they're arresting, they're around, you know, usually people that are being deceptive around them all day. And I was like, oh man, that I don't want to be in that situation. Even looked at being a doctor, uh, simply because it seemed like a really safe path. Then you talk to doctors and you realize all the burnout, all the fact that what I wanted to be was a general practitioner and that these are disappearing here in the United States. Everyone's becoming a specialist. And I'm just like, ah, like, 
what do I want to do? I, I wasn't sure. So one thing I always try to do, and I, I don't remember who told me this, but put yourself in the company of great people if you don't know what to do. And what you're going to find is the worst case, they're just going to rub off on you and you're just going to become better at, and you're going to develop skills, which you can use later on in life. So coming out of college, I joined the United States Marine Corps as an officer and being an officer of Marines taught me a lot. You know, when it comes to leadership, Marines eat last. And I think Simon Sedek wrote about this in his latest book. And it comes out of the Marine Corps. He spent time uh, in the Marine Corps hanging out with some of the officers. And I loved the servant leadership approach. The idea that I'm there as an officer of Marines to make sure my Marines do their job effectively and I serve them. It's not about me getting and telling them what to do. It's about if I'm going to, anything I tell them to do, I've done myself. It's just simply, you know, I now run a, a man. So I learned very quickly that I need to know how to do everything in my shop when I was in charge of my Marines. I needed to make sure, you know, anything I asked them to do, I was willing to do myself. I just simply had too much to do and I needed them to execute on their mission. And I needed to be able to do everything they did, except be able to do it at a higher level. So it forced me and, and you're around these other officers who are all living this and are all doing this. And then you realize like, wow, like this type of mentality, you can apply to anything in life. And so guys would leave after four years, after eight years and go on to do great things. Uh, one of, uh, you know, I remember sitting down with a guy named, uh, you know, Greg Jones and, you know, it's like we were talking and, you know, his father uh, ended up becoming the commandant, the Marine Corps, and then ended up being, you know, Obama's secretary of, of defense. And so you, you put yourself in this room. I remember sitting down with with a gentleman named, uh, you know, General Bolden. And he went on, he was, he's an astronaut. This guy had been in space and I'm sitting there breaking bread with him. And you realize that all these people have great potential or you're sitting with a Lance Corporal who, you know, you far outrank but I realized this guy, his father had been an investment banker. He understood investments more than anyone in the room who had these fancy degrees. And that that young man's gone on to do great things in, in the finance world, despite, you know, never really having gone to college. So you see things like this. And I, I think that that's one of the best things anyone can do when you're not sure. Put yourself in a situation that challenges you, that forces – because I was uncomfortable being a Marine. I, I did not – I, I was not physically fit in terms of like I didn't have a large, you know, muscular upper body. I was a good runner, but I was scared to death about some of the stuff I got put into. But at the end of the day, that really, I think, transformed me into what I was going to become. And one thing in particular, I started wearing a uniform and I had to take care of that uniform and I saw the power of a uniform. And then that, I think, in many ways, led me to creating real men, real style when the time was right. What uh, what was your fashion like before the uh, uniform? In terms of like, why did you get dressed? What why did you know? Because I know as a young man myself, I certainly didn't care at all about fashion. But then, as you start, for example, you know, interested in meeting meeting a woman, you're thinking a bit more about your clothing. Was that your line of thinking as well? Because I'm really very similar. Yeah, go ahead. Very similar. I didn't. You know, the only time I would care about my appearance was when it was basically too late. I'm about to go. 
you know, talk to a girl, ask her to the prom, and I'm wondering, okay, am I dressed well? Or, or you know, I don't have any stains on me. And, and that was about the extent of it. In the Marine Corps, though, I learned that we, we did a lot of uniform inspections. Why in the world? And I always ask questions, why, why, why? And it was like, why are we doing these uniform inspections? Who cares? Like, what I care, I mean, Marines, you want someone that's a stormtrooper, someone that's going to go through, knock down a, a wall, is going to, you know, do what needs to be done in, in combat. But you realize that, okay, if the guy doesn't present himself well, if he doesn't take care of his uniform, you can pretty much bet he's not taking care of his rifle. If he doesn't take care of his M16, it develops rust on the inside. And if it develops rust on the inside, it's going to miss, it's not going to fire correctly. And if his weapon doesn't fire correctly, then we got we got issues. And and then you start to realize that it's not so much, it's the discipline and it's the actions and it's the message that it sends to everyone around you. And that's when it started, I think, clicking for me and making a bit more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what I try to apply at Roman Real Style. I don't, I'm not into fashion. I'm not into runways and I'm not into trends. What I'm into is how men who really succeed in many other parts of life are shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to how they present themselves because they don't understand how important it is. And it's like a stool that has three legs. One of them is your education. You know, the other one are the experience and the actions you do. And then the other one is the way people perceive you and their your presentation, your image, your soft skills. And I work on that leg because the other two, you know, they're pretty crowded. And I think a lot of people do focus in on that, but they're missing that one leg. Mm. And like a three-legged stool, you take one of those legs off, you're going to fall right over. Mm. So while you're in the Marine Corps, did you get a more of a sense of direction for the rest of your life? Like what, what was your growth in terms of your purpose and your, your, your goals from that point forward? I was able to coast quite a bit throughout college and high school. I mean, I'm not saying I'm super smart, but it's something I could pick up things. I was well read. I just read and consumed books. But one area I did really bad it were languages because it's not something I was just reading up on languages and it wasn't something you could naturally just pick up and you can't fool you know a language teacher uh, that you could speak the language I mean to a degree I guess you could but it was something that required work and I think that's what the Marine Corps helped instill in me is that if you're going to get better at something you've just simply have to put in the work and the effort you can't just do what's comfortable if you want to get better at pull-ups you need to practice pull-ups and there's no way around that you just simply have to learn to master your upper body and i didn't like that i don't to this day i really don't enjoy pull-ups but i realize if that's what you want you want to get stronger you've got to go into the gym and you've got to put in the time you've got to put in the effort and you got to be consistent and that was probably the biggest thing the marine corps taught me is that amazing people aren't born amazing. Yes, some have a more natural ability, but natural ability can be overcome with time, persistence, and effort. And I think that applies to business. I mean, just everything I see in business is the people that really succeed, they put in, you know, that time, they put in that, they're persistent and they put in the effort. They're not Yes, some, it may be easy to dismiss that, you know, the Gary V's, the, you know, the Andrew Warners, the, the Yaros of the world that, oh, they got that way because they got lucky. No, you know, like we started this interview, you put in 20 years to get to where you're at and people don't always see that. And, uh, and I think the Marine Corps gave me that, that gave, gave me that knowledge that I've built off of since then. 
but you didn't see that as a career. You didn't want to stay there. So what were you thinking? Like there must have been a point where you said, this is enough. What's next? Yeah, the point was we, I was deployed multiple times. And I mean, so I was dating this girl in Ukraine, now my wife, uh, Lena. And I mean, I would see her for two weeks, three weeks maybe. And then I would go a year without seeing her because I'd be deployed. And I mean, that's not how you're going to have a stable relationship. So if you look look at people that are a decade ahead of you, two decades ahead of you, look at not only their successes, but their mistakes. I had one guy that was a decade ahead of me and he had four kids and he had not been there for any of the births of his kids. He watched his kids on video all the time during the deployment. Now, he loved his kids, but he didn't doesn't have a relationship with his kids. And I realized, you know, my dad wasn't around. I didn't I don't really know my dad. And I don't want to have that relationship with my kids. I don't know truly I, I think I want to have a good relationship and I'm trying hard. But I know that I need to set the system up so that I can have a good relationship with my kids. And I didn't see uh, the Marine Corps as provide as being good for a family man long term. So you're looking for avenues to to leave and then decide on yeah. your career path. What what did you what did you consider? Oh, you know, it's like one of those things when you come out of the military, you're thinking, okay, what am I really good at? I can blow things up. I can fire <laughs> weapons. And, you know, I had a little bit of training uh, as an aviator. I, I'd started off as a, as a naval aviator and ended up blowing out my sinuses, but that's for another story. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, okay, I got these skills. I, I need to do the same skills going forward, but there's just not openings. Like if, if you, if you have your wings and you, you flew for five years, yes, you can maybe get started in the airlines, but I didn't like that path. Um, I didn't want to go into law enforcement really, but I'm like, well, do I need to go FBI? Do I need to go CIA? Like those, I mean, they sound cool. They sound sexy for a lot of people, but that wasn't me. And, uh, so I went to Ukraine and I, I just took some time off. I had saved up some money and I knew I just wanted to, you know, spend time with, with my current, uh, beautiful, uh, you know, fiance who I'd been dating on and off and, and, you know, just wanted to see. Uh, and that's when, you know, the idea, see, I had some, inter- you know, I saw what the power of the web working with that nonprofit. And then I said, you know, well, what if I learned a little bit more about business? So I got that opportunity to go to business school. Got my MBA, took me about two years, but again, it was it was quite a sacrifice. I didn't get to see my 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 wife and my uh, my my son at the time. Did not accompany me to the United States, and so I knew that whatever I do, I want to be in control. I want to be, I want to be making good money so I can have freedom, and that's when I took that first job. And that didn't work out. But again, this thing about starting an online business was always in the back of my mind. And so in 2007, late 2007, I took my savings and I'm like, I was moving my uh, wife and my son to the United States. I'm like, we are going to start an online company and it's going to be this online custom clothier. Uh, I still had that idea from when I saw these guys over in Ukraine. And I'm like, there's only two that I know of in the world doing this. I think that there's an opportunity to to just go make it a go. So that's what we did. And uh, my wife, you know, she was right behind me and uh, I jumped on a flight, went over to, took a, took a month, traveled to Saville Row, went to uh, Italy. I went over to Kowloon, uh, which is Hong Kong. And then I went over to Bangkok and Chiang Mai. And I met with all of these different tailors because I knew I couldn't become a tailor very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's that takes a lifetime. But if I could have the back end taken care of, and I was the front end, I would just simply manage the website, bring in the business, and use the power of the web to bring in leads. That was the whole idea. And then I would be able to, to have a partner 
in another country who I could just feed the information to hmm. and they could send it to me. I could quality control inspect and then deliver it to the customer. Did you have tech skills at that point? Because I can't imagine, you know, maybe your MBA, you might have got a little bit of tech training. I doubt None. the Marine Corps, you got any, you know, HTML website building training. None. So, so I, you know, how were you planning on solving that problem? You know, the whole idea is find someone that can do it and and then pay them money to do it. And so that was, I took my first, I had $10,000 saved up and I gave it to a company and uh, they we outlined exactly what they were going to deliver and they failed. Uh, in fact, what they delivered me, I mean, this is a kind of a bad analogy, but it was basically, a, you know, that thing was dead on arrival. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it looked good. It, it And in fact, many of the same things I've got with the current, uh, current site still kind of come from that first design with a tailored suit is still there by the way it's now an information portal but the original articles are there but i was like this thing doesn't work i can't build a suit with it and they're like well sorry you know we put in all these hours and we have to we have to keep your money uh good luck you know it's like it's, it, so it was it was a tough position and you could argue oh i should have sued him i didn't have time to fight backwards i'm like i gotta keep going forward the ships are burned um i gotta figure this out so i found a guy i was able to raise up you know get borrow from my brother uh another three to four thousand dollars and i got a guy who i really made sure was the right guy and he was able to build for me and i was able to piece together a somewhat working website and then nothing happened because it's like okay we've got this up so i then had to figure out how to get traffic to the website which you know google was pretty generous at that point if you had good content and you started getting some incoming links you could start to build it up so that's what i did as i just went into libraries and i read every single book i could about html about seo and at the time like html is all the sites you know so and there's a little bit of uh you know other things you could do but but HTML pretty much was it. And I, I, one of the better things I did before I left school, I, I bought an entire suite, the whole, I had, I had Dreamweaver and all these other things that I had bought uh, with a create, Adobe Creative Suite. I mm-hmm. bought it on a single disc, got the student discount. So I got this huge access and I'm like, I am simply gonna teach myself how to do this stuff. And that's what I did. So the first few years of Real Mid Real Style, I was staying up all night, wasn't sleeping much, working 80 to 100 hours a week, weekends, figuring out how to get traffic to my website. You start with getting 10 visitors a day, then you get to 100, then you get to 1,000. And then, you know, it's like things start to really pick up after that. And, but that took me a long time. And it was very, very painful going through. And I'm sure you've, you know, you remember the HTML days. Like mm-hmm. you had to change each, each page. Like by itself, you couldn't make one change and then affect everything. You had to, and it was, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of work. So this is the, the Marine soldier to the MBA student to now the, the tech grunt building a website. It's quite a transition of different roles you had here, Anthony, to get to, you know, entrepreneur. Um, I am curious, though, and this is something I think a lot of people in their mind is also wondering at, at this phase that you're describing now. You're really in the trenches, uh, not in a, an army point of way, but in a, building a business, building a website kind of way. How do you manage to support a, a I'm assuming a growing family at the same time as, you know, having to have borrowed money from your brother after the first website didn't work. Did, yeah. did, how did you, cause I'm assuming there's not a, you know, a huge wave of cash coming from your business quickly. No, so no, how, there's how did not. you make it work? 
so one of the first things is I live in a very small town in the middle of nowhere, and exp- we kept our expenses incredibly low. Uh, so I was living off of like fifteen hundred bucks a month, and you know that's that was everything. And you know we we did eat a whole lot of meats. Uh, I kept things really tight, and so there were a few months. Also, I I was living. You know, I was using credit cards. I was still. I asked. You know, I got ended up taking a ten thousand dollar loan from my brother, which I since paid back and then some uh, to him. And it was also something. I had two other friends that were willing to come in and possibly loan me money for you know, a percentage of the business as well. At this point, you know, you're just talking with people. Uh, It was something I did actually have, you know, one family member that did not loan me any money uh, when I asked him. And, and, you know, to their credit, I I, I could see why. Uh, You know, it wasn't what I was thinking. I I wanted to use it to go buy a car and travel around the United States actually doing like measurements. Mm -hmm. And that was how I first, the first year was very, very, very tough. it was something that I, I depleted all of my savings. I pulled out all of my retirement savings and I, and I spent it on the business. Um, you know, and these, this was more just like investments I had put into the stock market. I ended up pulling that out and using it to uh, to get the business going. And uh, you know, I, I was just tr- really putting everything forth. And then, like within a month in, I got my first sale. Uh, and that one was you remember I remember this. It was like ten. It had to be like ten shirts at like $150 a shirt. And he bought also like two pairs of trousers at $200 a pair of trousers. So it was it was a $2,000 order. And I was like, whoa, like, and I didn't know who the guy was. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he found me. And like, I get on the phone and we do everything, we deliver. And I was just so excited until I get the email back that everything I sent him was too small. I... Yeah. So uh, there was a couple of things though. One is that we took their money up front. I learned this from being around Dell computers when I got my MBA down in Austin, that one of the best things, best ways to finance a business is to get the money up front. In the tailoring industry, that's uncommon. Usually it's a 50-50, or so I even know some people that will just simply do the work and then you pay them at the end. That is, I, I just would not recommend it. Get the money up front, because when you're the, your own bank, you're no longer at the mercy of the banks and it puts you in a position. So that first order, what happened is I didn't make any money on it because we had to rebuild everything, but I learned some valuable lessons. One, never make a big order all at once and, you know, make sure to, you know, double check those measurements and to talk with it, have one shirt made as a test. Uh, but the other thing was, okay, this, this can work. So we were able all of a sudden to start getting some orders in. We were, we, you know, it was one at a time, a shirt here, a, a shirt there. All of a sudden, it was like three orders here, three orders there, and boom, it started coming in. We were able to. I got. I started writing more for the art of manliness, and they were sending me, you know, leads that were coming in. And it was something that business continued to grow. Um, Can, but just, it was before you keep going. One question, Anthony. I'm, I am curious about sure. the mechanics of this business. So, you know, when you get an order for a shirt, like you said, these first orders are coming in, and you were saying you were sourcing from all around the world because you're not a tailor. So, how does it work? So, I buy from that your first website. Then, do you go and get in touch with your supplier over in Kowloon or Italy? Yeah, I tried to use one guy, and he was uh, he was out of Bangkok. He he was really good. Initially, he started off really good. And uh, it was one of those things that you would do the order. And within, I had, I, I gave myself usually like, we got back to you within like 
30 minutes with a personal response, uh, no matter what time of the day it was, it seemed like. So I was getting, you know, sending emails out at 11 o'clock at night at, you know, six o'clock in the morning. Didn't matter. I was getting back to customers. So I'm doing everything here. But yes, once I had your measurements, I would then look over your measurements, make sure that they were correct. If something was outside, and this was all me doing. Now, there wasn't an algorithm or anything that helped. Now, nowadays, a lot of companies have a much better system for this. But what I would look at is, okay, does this look right to me? And if it did, then I would pass. I would then take this, put this into an Excel document. This is how all you know. I would physically, and this this opened up a lot of error too, which we learned to fix slightly. But and then I would send that final Excel document over to the tailor. And then what was good is that he would give me feedback on like, are you sure? Like, have him double check this measurement because he, they had, and that was one of the better things I did as I worked with someone that had a high level of skill. They were more expensive than other ones I could have gone with, but they wouldn't just make something. They would say, you know, this is good, but I would, are you sure about this measurement? Because it looks, based off my experience of working with thousands of people, this one looks a little bit off. So then we would get this double check and then we would get it. I, he would then ship it to me directly in the United States because I want I didn't want anyone to know where it was coming from. I wanted to present it my way. And so then we would repackage it usually within 24 hours and get it reshipped out to the customer. And all of this within a four week period, uh, which now, you know, a lot of places and I could talk about why we couldn't compete and what happened, you know, ended up with the business. But it was something that, yeah, you know, that was initially how we were doing it. And there was a lot of room for error there. Uh, and that's, I think, what led me to like realize I got to shut this down because I am I'm I just can't uh, do this at a high enough quality level. Well, take us forward. So your 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 sales are coming through. You must be getting excited at least that this is working. I am. Yeah, getting excited. Money's coming in. Uh, but the problem is that we had too high a return, not returns, but redos. And what I discovered is that I never liked the feeling of sending out a suit because I always felt there was about a 20% chance that it, there was going to be some issues with it. And then there was a, of that 20%, half were big issues. Like the customer just was not happy. Like this does not look right. This is way. And I remember like, I just, I just got tired of like only being able to shoot at like 80%. And, and sometimes the customer would be happy and I would look at it and I'd be like, ah, oh, I don't like the way that thing fits. He's happy. So what do you do there? You know, the guy's happy, but I'm not happy at the same time. Like, am I just going to rebuild this? And it, it, it was like, cause the customer's happy and I'm not physically there. So I just ran into these issues long-term that I was like, I just don't like this business. I also, my supplier, he, he, it, Thailand had a number of issues in the 2008, 2009, 2010 with literally revolution going on. The airport is shut down for two weeks. I am calling all of my, my clients apologizing and they don't know it's coming from Thailand. They, all they know is that their suits two weeks late. Mm. And it's something that I was like, I can't do this if I can't control my back end. My competitors started buying factories, investing in factories. And I'm like, I just can't do this. I'm not in a position. And when it came down to you know money, we, we weren't charging enough for what we were doing, actually. And we just never had those cash reserves. In fact, it was something that, you know, slowly we were actually, you know, I was building up credit card debt. Um, I was going into debt, you know, with, with certain ones. Like we would have you know, one month you'd have like almost a hundred thousand dollars come in, but you had 110,000 go out. Mm. You know, you don't make that up with volume and that's not the way to run a business. And so, you know, I think it was about 2010, 2011, I saw the writing on the wall. 
I, I gave it, you know, a few years, but I just could not sustain that business. And I uh, basically made the decision to shut it down. And I looked at what was working, and it was that information. So I started. Before you basically, continued the oh, story, I, I am curious emotionally, how did you feel when you had to make that choice to, uh, let's not say close it down it sounds more like a pivot like a change in business direction but how did you feel especially because it sounds like you know you were living kind of hand to mouth for a lot of years here so you must have been emotionally drained all this energy being put into it and yet you're still not financially breaking free and then you'd make the decision to essentially change you know shut something down how do you feel 2009 was the worst year of my life i mean looking back and there's a number of things that happened but yeah, 2009, I think that's when I hit the low with and – and to me, it was – when you have a business that makes money – and it's funny. Somebody just asked me like – you know, asked me like, what's more important for a business, to make money or to serve the customer? And my answer is easy. Make money. Now, I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive. But if your business is not making money, then you – cannot make a life for yourself. Money is not anything bad. Money is not anything evil. It's just simply a, it's a transit. It's does the market, does the world value what you do and the value you bring enough that they're willing to pay for it. And it's a very hard realization that sometimes what we do and what we're loving and you know, it isn't valued enough or that we're not doing it in enough way, especially when you had a lot of success. And this is, you know, the market is just is just clean. So 2009, you know, I go through, you know, I, I went through a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. 2009, my sister killed herself. And I am the oldest son. And I can't even grieve my sister properly because I'm carried. I had to drive down to Texas and I've got to bury her. I've got to deal with the police. Uh, I've got to deal with all this stuff. And I'm taking business calls because I can't pay my, my mortgage. And you know, it's, it's horrible. You know, it's, and I realized, I think at that year I was like, you know, I don't care what, I, I mean, I need to run this business the right way. And I'm not in business to just be a barter. I'm not in, I mean, I, I think you can do amazing things with business. I'm very proud that now we're able to donate every month more to this. I've got this uh, orphan Ukrainian charity we work with, Orphans Hope, right there, uh, actually in uh, Chernobyl, pretty close to you, uh, over near near uh, near Leave. And I, I'm able to, I was able to double their yearly budget. It just, you know, because I found, I love what they're doing, and I can do that because I've got a business that's thriving. And and I think that it was. So I was, yeah, I was emotionally drained. I, I was, you know, it's, I, I'm lucky. I've just got a great wife. I've got, you know, four beautiful, healthy children. And I also have a lot of friends that, you know, were there for me and rallied around me. Um, but, you know, it's just something that, yeah, you, you go through, you know, the, the life of an entrepreneur, not every entrepreneur goes through dark phases and for everyone it's, it's different. But I think once you go through that, it kind of forges you or it breaks you. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, people listening to your podcast, other ones out there, that they're able to, that they're able to take this as it is and, you know, come out of it stronger Mm -hmm. versus coming out of it broken. Which does lead me to a question, you know, that's a lot of bad stuff happening at once and it takes a certain, you know, mental fortitude to, you know, not even do a simple decision like throw in the towel, let's get a job, uh, you know, just so I can not have to worry about where money's coming from, I can pay the mortgage, 
and, and you know maybe put this whole being an entrepreneur thing uh, on, on the the back burner for a while did you have that as a consideration you know talking to your wife about the situation especially after yeah you know bankruptcy. 2009 we're in a we're in a pretty bad economy here in the United States uh, so jobs aren't easy to find uh, it, it is something I, I'd have to say one of the the dangers of tasting a bit of success as an entrepreneur is that you uh, you realize that I, I truly am unemployable. Right. Like I don't want to work for anybody. I think the hard part and one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs have to swallow is that their dream is not necessarily something that's going to be something that makes money. It may be something that you could run as a nonprofit, something that you could actually run a great information website on, but sometimes some things just don't monetize in the way that you want. And you may have to suck it up and monetize in a way that you didn't expect, but could actually become your your dream. I think dreams and what we want to do, that, that's great. But I think what we become passionate about is something that we become really good at. What we become something, you know, good at is something that we do with repetition, something that we do every time we're doing it, we're thinking about how could I do this better? How could I learn? So for me, what I found is that I was and I, I didn't start off being passionate about this was was creating information about men's style. And to this day, it's I'm really not even interested in men's style that much. What I'm interested in is helping men become better men. And that's truly my passion, helping them become better fathers, husbands, brothers, sons, because I think the world needs this. But I use the vehicle right now is is style because I know that that's a that's a, a my in and the way that we've created this. But I realized that I could go off and create other things, and I've done this like in the in the veteran space, in the language space. We've created these other businesses, and I really like that because I think at the end of the day, my mission is almost is pretty much still the same. And I realize I I enjoy doing this because my skill set has become such that I've become pretty good on video. I become pretty good with uh, with being able to look at something and tell if it's good quality content that's going to grow and become shared. Mm. Which uh, leads me to a question. I, I'm, a new video would come into this at some point. So bankruptcy hits you. you know, you're, you've dealt with the family situation with your sister. You decide to make a pivot towards content. So how does that roll out uh, into a, a money-making business at last too? Well, you, you see what other people are doing. So Brett McKay over at the Art of Manliness was kind enough to talk to me quite a bit about how he was how he was how he basically was making money with this. Then there was Pat Flynn over at Smart Passive Income, and I remember following his stuff back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and I remember it was wow, like okay, so you package up your website and you sell it as an ebook. Who would buy a simply a PDF ebook that they could read for free on the web? I didn't believe it. So I first packaged it up and gave it away for free and just to collect emails. And it was working. And then I said, well, what if I actually package it up and charge 17 bucks? Just, just, just to, curious. Just to clarify, when you say package it up, you mean the articles you wrote for your previous website? Yes. Okay. Yes. That was initially my first product was simply taking my website's articles, putting them into an ebook and putting a price on it. And it was like, and by the way, you could read it for free on the website or you could just buy it. And I, what I realized is the whole bottled bottle water phenomenon, that sometimes people want something just for it to be convenient. They like to own things. And, you know, sometimes, they, yeah, they just don't have time. Maybe they don't have a good quality internet connection. You know, again, this is 2009, 2010. And 
lo and behold, people started buying it for $17. Now, there's a couple of things that interested me about this. Not so much the money because, you know, I'd have to sell 100 to make 1700 bucks, which, you know, was – and that's not you know a crazy bell. Mm. But if I did sell that hundred, it made seventeen hundred bucks. Interestingly enough, I kept sixteen fifty of that. Like even at, you know or or sixteen hundred. Mm. It was like so my my margin was huge versus on my clothier. My margin was if I was lucky twenty percent, twenty five percent. And here I had a 95 percent margin. Wait a minute. So I I could sell less and make more money. <laughs> Yeah, like, you, you had a very similar experience to me selling uh, collectible cards and then selling information products. You notice the difference straight away, the margins. Yeah. It's all in the margins. Yeah, and, and I realized, wow, I could be really happy with an information product business doing a hundred grand a year. And sure enough, we were able to get real men, real style up to that very quickly. And then I realized the tailored suit, why in the world am I doing this? And I didn't, I'm like, so I doubled all my prices at a tailored suit. I made it so you could only buy packages, which cut off like 90%. I mean, if I would have continued, that's probably how I should have done that business. I should have only sold package deals and I should have, and I doubled my prices. And you know, what's funny is people still bought mm. not as many, but they were so much better customers. I felt bad closing that thing down. And, uh, but it was one of those things I realized, you know, this is actually where I'm a lot more passionate. I can do this information thing. And I just, yeah, made the transition over. Well, take us through that. So you register realmenrealstyle.com, right? And then what do you do next? Yeah, well, the idea was, okay, so I needed to get more traffic to a tailored suit uh, when I had that clothier. And I created realmenrealstyle.com because I wanted to talk about casual style because I knew my suit was only about custom clothing style and suit style and that kind of stuff. And I realized, okay, based off what I see at the Art of Manliness, people want me to talk about the entire wardrobe. So that's not going to fit on my commerce site, but it'll work if I own an information portal. And the whole, I read a book called The Search. Uh, and it was a 2005 book that really talked about Sergey and Larry over at uh, the Google and what they're. It got into the algorithm when they when they went back to, uh, and they wrote the algorithm. They got, I think they got it published with the guy over at Cornell who had who had really like pioneered search back in the 1970s and 80s. And at the end of the day, I realized that Google dominates and that Google rewards quality. And their whole motto at the time, you know, was do not do evil or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, if I can create the best, there's very little competition for the best. And I just need to make sure it's able to be found. And that was my guiding force for Real Men Real Style. Create the best, make it easy to be found, and repeat. Were and you, Were you thinking articles or, or videos at this point? Articles, straight articles at okay. this point. I hadn't even, you know, so videos play, you know, so the article, so I started writing over at Real Men Real Style, started redirecting some of my links from the art of manliness, which again, you know, that early relationship, because he had, he had been given a lot of favor, you know, a lot of love by Google because I was able to link directly to those two websites. They started getting trust. They started getting picked up, found by other websites, other people. I, I picked up. Just want to clarify because people might be confused. So you wrote on The Art of Manliness way back when you first started your first business as a guest author, basically, right? Yep. I was, then, one of the, I was his first guest writer, and to this day, I still write for him right. and for you, free. And every single yeah, article you publish there, you get to put a link to your own website. Yeah, I just put some links down at the bottom. You know, it's just my signature. And now you point them to your new website, Real Men Real Style. So instantly, it's got this incoming link page rank back in the day. would have given it some, some boost. So oh, you, back in the day, you used to get like a couple thousand. 
you know visitors from one one post wow you know now now that's t- that's tailored you know it's not as effective now that everyone does it and we've got a we we got new problems online you know there's just a there's too much content yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> and uh but uh but yeah, you know that that's what got it going, and uh, and it was just something again. You had to put in the time, put in the effort, because it's not like all of a sudden I started making a whole lot of money from this. Mm. Uh, but I did realize I was on the right path, and very quickly I was able to get real mid, real style up to selling. You know, hey, I was able to sell you know thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand in information products, and because I already had that traffic, <laughs> and I was just selling, I increased the price. Another thing I figured out very quickly, the test the price. And I'm again, I'm learning all this because I'm just simply every single day spending an hour improving my self-education. And they say, because I can't, it's very difficult to double your traffic in one day, but you can, you can increase your, you can double your price in one day. And assuming that you continue to have the same conversion rate because you haven't hit the point that people are price sensitive, you just doubled your sales. Mm. And Oh, go ahead. Okay, so there's, there's, I'm very curious here. You know, thirty thousand and then forty thousand. We're talking big jumps, and all I know that you've got is a seventeen dollar ebook. That even if you double the price, now it's forty seven. Okay, it's forty seven dollars now as an ebook. You still got to sell a lot of ebooks at forty seven dollars each to to start hitting those numbers. I am curious, what does the business look like? Have you been following the you know the formula of growing a list, creating an email sequence, a funnel, uh, you know, proper information marketing? Are you thinking back ends? How did it all come together? Good question. So following going over to Pat Flynn, he's like, create a great free ebook that you can give away for trade for an email. So I created my first ebook, the one that was is still to this day out there, the seven deadly sins of style. And that thing just worked really well. Now I followed best practices. I kept it negative. I kept a list and I kept it relatively. It was a great, it's a great ebook. I mean, it's everything I try to create. I, I try to go for good quality. And what I found is that, yeah, we started collecting, you know, initially 50 emails a day based off the traffic we already had. Then all of a sudden, you know, I kept optimizing things, trying to make it easier, make it better. I mean, at, I would say at the height of that one, that was probably getting 300 emails a day. Once our traffic really started building up at Realman Rista. Yeah. So you get 300 emails a day. You just have to convert a small percentage and you start then running them to a drip sequence. I used started off with Aweber, heard great things about Aweber, buy into it, create my first automated sequence. And it's crazy. It worked. And I'm delivering value. It's working. Sales are coming in while I'm sleeping. And all of a sudden, yeah, I'm starting to make $200 a day, you know, which isn't life-changing, but it may be actually for, it was for me. <laughs> it would be for me yeah, actually, starting from yeah. nothing. Yeah, exactly. So you're getting $6,000. I mean, a, a month. It's like, wow, like this is crazy. And that's $6,000, $72,000 a year, you know, if all things, you know, stay steady. Uh, and then I realized that, okay, that's one way Again, you're looking at what other people – I love being in a slow industry. So I say slow by the fact that people in my industry – like the, the hardest industry to be in I think is the make money online or if you're trying to sell Viagra or you know, <laughs> some of these – like or the fitness industry because those – they're always – yeah, apps. They're always cutting edge of doing the latest. But what's cool is in the fashion and style industry, everyone's like they're 10 years behind. So I just look at what other people are doing and I'm like – 
I'm going to take that. I'll take that. Yep. It's he says that's working for him in that industry. Steal and bring it over. Similar to McDonald's. You know, you the factory floor works. Oh, Ford's been doing this for you know a decade. Yep. Let's go ahead. Let's uh, let, let's do it. You want to grab There's something going on there? Nope. I turned it off. Sorry okay. about that. No problem. Right. So you you said that you were taking ideas from other internet marketers so what can you think of anything that really made a difference back then was there you know one idea one technique one one test you did that besides obviously doubling the price of the ebook that made a difference besides doubling the price of the ebook i would say focusing on conversion you know, looking at where you've got errors in your funnel or where it's like you've got incredible, like, okay, so I convert, you know, let's say 45% of the people that see, uh, you know, that go to the page from my, you know, go to the actual download page, download it. How can I get this higher? How can I get this to 55%? How can I get this to 60%? Okay, I'm getting their email. Then how many, what percentage open that first email and actually engage. Okay. We're at, you know, 70% open that first email. Can we get that higher? Or is it better to look at the next email that's only getting a 30% open rate and focus there? And you realize that it's about examining that funnel or examining each step and then trying to fix those percentages. And that is what's going to, okay, let's go to the sales page. How can I better, this sales page converts at 3%. Well, gosh, if I did this, this, and this, or just credibly rebuilt it from scratch, all right, this one's doing 5%. Oh, that one only did 1%. You know, and so you, split testing was was huge. And again, I'm not rocket, I'm doing rocket science here. This is, you know, and about this point, I, one of the early, instead of keeping a lot of money myself, I immediately found someone I could trust and I hired them to take off a lot of these things that I just, I did not like doing that tech stuff. I found that I would spend, you probably remember this year, I was spending two hours mm -hmm. trying to get something to look right on a website and you still don't get it. I'm like, you know, I, I can, I, I can have my friend Yuri over in Ukraine do this. And, you know, he had just, his business that he was working with had just imploded. He was looking for work and I'm like, man, I'll pay you 200 bucks a month, you know, just part time, just for 10 hours. You know, just 20 bucks an hour. Get this done for me. Can you do it? And he was like, sure. Actually, I think it was it was a lot less than that. It wasn't $20 an hour. It was like, you know, and when you can find someone that's willing to take over something and, and they actually, you know, are pretty good at it, it, it's just so great. You know, creating that do not do list mm -hmm. and then systematically handing these things off to somebody else. It's a good feeling. I think the tech person and probably the email support person are the, the two, oh, yeah, that was, two places where I go, oh, that feels better. Oh, yeah. Jamie, I, I know you haven't uh, had to answer an email for like for 12 years. Yeah. For me, it's it's been two years and I love it. And uh, I do not miss. That's been actually three years <laughs> since answering my email. I, I love it so much. I have three people on my team who could do this job because I'm so scared of ever having to go back <laughs> to it. <laughs> So take us forward because um, uh, we haven't even talked about video yet. So you had huge success success with written content and an ebook, and then a whole bunch of split testing, improving conversion rate. You start building a team. So you must be like, and I know you have a million dollar business. So there's a few steps to get there. So can you take us forward in, in the journey? 
Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, from business side, you know, Realman Real Style proper itself, yes, did over well over a billion this year. But I've got and this is, you know, I thought we could get into maybe later interviews because I love telling you this stuff. But I've got this other business, uh, you know, it's a media company that one did over four million. And I've got a, you know, we got a conference and that one, you know, does very well and brings everyone together. But I one thing I want to stress, though, you are to anyone listening is that there is no such thing as an overnight success. Uh, What you see is someone that continuously puts in the effort and puts in the work, gets better, picks up, develops valuable skill sets, and then starts making this transition. So because I had written hundreds of articles, I knew a lot about men's style. And then I see this guy on YouTube named Aaron Marino, and he's got like a million views. And I'm like, you know, not a million subscribers, just a million views, which was a lot. It's like, man, it's a lot of views. And his, I don't like, this guy sucks. Like now he's one of my best friends. I run multiple businesses with him. He's my business partner. But at the time I was like, I was jealous of that million views and it's cumulative views. And that's what you kind of, many people don't pick up on. But I was like, man, like he doesn't know anything about suits. I could so much better do this. And, And, you know, lo and behold, in a year, I didn't do anything. And I watched him go from a million to 4 million total views. And I'm like, I need to jump on this. I need to do something. So my wife said, hey, go do it. Quit quit complaining. Go make some, you know, make things happen. So I made a commitment. I'm like, you know, I'm going to sh- I'm going to shoot 10 videos, put it up, see what happens. And then that commitment turned into 100 videos in 100 days. And then that turned into 200 videos in 200 days. That sounds like a lot. But here's the way I, I filmed it. I just simply set up a camera in the basement of my house. I get up at four o'clock in the morning because I needed to still work at my at my main job. And I would just film and cut, cut. We did no editing. It was like 10 minutes, sometimes six minutes, sometimes 12 minutes of just let me lay down the law on suits. Like I knew my information so well that I could, I'm just talking to the camera. It's black background. They don't, my first few videos, I look like I have jaundice. I'm like yellow colored. I mean, the coloring's (laughs) off. But here's what's amazing is if you provide unique, amazing content that is specific, people don't care what you look like. They don't care that you don't show videos. Like the other day, my furnace went out, uh, my my water heater, and uh, I found a great video. And it was to my specific mod, it was to the specific model number, and I was able to it actually fixed my fix my water heater. Mm. And it was an amazing video. And I don't care that the guy's not that he's, you know, he's not professionally dressed. I don't care. I, I don't care about any of that. What I care is that this was specific to solve my problem and that I was able to find him and that he made me just feel, you know, taught me something. So I realized that's where the power and I I could control getting a million views, but I can't control doing a million videos. I'm not saying that's my a woman do it, but I'm like, you know, you could anyone can get to a million views. You just do a million videos and you get one you get your mom to watch them all. <laughs> you know, there you go. But that's not gonna happen. Because what's going to happen is you're gonna get better. And my first two hundred videos sucked, by the way. I would I'd batch process them, I'd do like ten in a row. And I would just like I'd spend an hour just, you know, giving out the stuff. And I got better. My first videos, I'm slow, I talk like this. I mean, it was, it was bad, but you get better and you practice and you put it out there. And next thing you know, you start to develop this ability and you become a better storyteller. You become more specific. You get to the point faster. You actually pay attention to what people are writing in the comments at the time. You know, they were giving some good feedback and it was get to the point faster, get to the point faster. And then again, you start making, you know, and all this translated, by the way, into more sales. Mm. I started selling another product. I had a course that we did on, you know, online launches. 
Initially, it was called the style system, which I'm actually, funny enough, bringing it back here in 2018. But we would do product launches. I read Jeff, you know, Jeff Walker's, uh, you know, pro, you know, at the time he did that, he, he just had, a, you know, some information out there. But I, I knew what he was talking about with product launch formula, which is, you know, a great read as well. And, you know, for anyone not familiar with this. But I'm like, and the next thing you know, we did a $20,000 launch. We were selling a product at $200 and we were able to sell 100 of them. Wow. You know, and then. That was blew me away. Make twenty thousand dollars in two days, and then it was like, well, what happened if we double the price? You know, with the five hundred dollars, I wouldn't. I, you know, all of a sudden, I only had to sell twenty five of those at, you know, or, or you know, so you, you guys, you see how it works, and I, I sell fifty at five hundred dollars. You know, all of a sudden, you know, that's that, that's a big difference, and you're able to start start making these things happen, and and that's. Kind of, you know, I, I don't know how, how you know, ask me any questions. I know I'm kind of getting all over the place here. <laughs> no, that's awesome. There's, there's so much. Um, I, I'm, I'm still curious. Also, you, you did drop hints about a four million dollar publishing media company, and, and obviously you talked about a language uh, business. With I know you teach children with your wife about how to become bilingual. Uh, and you've got the uh, training program for uh, ex-servicemen to get into business. Yeah, I've seen you do that with uh, John Lee Dumas and I think Tom Morks. Yep. So you've got a lot of uh, wheels spinning, <laughs> Antonio. So can we maybe like to move towards the end of this discussion? And maybe we do need you back for a second uh, interview at some point. But could you just maybe do an overview of what, first of all, Real Men, Real Style looks like today? So it's a YouTube channel. It's a website. You sell still digital products. I assume, and I believe is the live event, the conference you run kind of an extension of Real Men, Real Style. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And and so that's so my three main businesses right now are the Menfluential Conference, and not to confuse you, but I also own Menfluential Media, and the other business and the main business is Real Men, Real Style. Now, what you'll notice with all three of those businesses is they're all tied together. They're all focused in on the men's space. So the conference just it basically, it's an it's a party that I throw in Atlanta, Georgia that I could write off. That is what it is. I, br- I got tired of traveling the world to see my friends. And I'm like, what if I just brought them all to me? And we have, a, it's 300 guys, it's 98% men. It focuses on first day is business. Second day is, uh, you know, personal development. So we talk, second, you know, first day we're talking about, you know, how to, you know, conversions. I just bring in people that are smarter than me on particular areas and they get up on stage, they talk for 20 minutes. And then best part is they go sit down and hang out with everyone in the audience for two days. Uh, and then, you know, that's what I always, I felt like, Yara, me and you spent a lot of time in the halls talking. Mm. Like that's where the magic happens happens at a conference. So I'm like, well, what if I just made a conference that that's all it's about is actually like not, we have a whole lot of presentations, but it's more of like, I just want to introduce you to this person so that when you see them, you have something to talk about and you can ask them a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So day one is business. Day two is personal development. We talk about male depression. We talk about getting into the best shape of your life and how to do it when you're a busy entrepreneur. We talk about, I mean, and what's cool is all these guys are there and they're there to help you. And that's what I wanted. So I get a lot of speakers up there. And then I treat my speakers really well. I'm really proud about this. I throw parties for them. Uh, I put them up in hotels and we, and I try, we, we did like masterminds come out of this thing. Businesses come out of it. And what's, again, it's just a lot of fun. I keep it at a really low price. I, I, I'm kicking, you know, I need to, the prices, I mean, 
250 bucks for a business pass, 150 bucks, and I cover all your food. I mean, it was just wow. like, uh, at some point, I will increase the price because I know what the biggest expense is. It's one, you making the commitment, spending that money on an airplane and getting a hotel. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing is I find so many people just aren't willing to do it. But then, yeah, Menfluential Media, that's where I realized I was getting all these leads coming in. Because see, as you start to grow, you build up a video presence, you build up an article presence, you're getting this traffic. You get picked up, PRAs, everyone wants you to advertise and to talk about them. So initially I did this for free. Thinking, again, I'm making this mistake of just being a nice guy, which I love being a nice guy. But understand these people, like they're making money off of this. And it puts you in this very uncomfortable situation where I remember one company would send me shoes and it took me six months to do a review, to do a video. And it was a lot of work. It was something I was neglecting at the time, my clothier. And I remember I put up this video or I put up this review, did really, and he sold a whole bunch of shoes. And you know what they did to thank me? They sent me another pair. <laughs> Can you do another? And I'm like, oh my gosh. So my friend, Aaron Marino, who again, initially I was very jealous of, but then became a great friend and a confidant said, no, you need to send him, ask him for three thousand dollars i'm like are you kidding me three thousand bucks just to talk about these shoes he's like man you just sold him all these shoes he will not like do it he's like i ref- you are my friend do it and and i did it and it was paid within like i think i know 10 minutes wow and it blew me away and ever since then i haven't looked back i and i and nowadays we don't even take sponsorships at that level like but here's what we do do because a lot of people come in and they're like hey like i'd like to work with you but i can't afford our you know my rates are you know the ten thousand dollar range and they go up uh aaron marino you know his are you know quite much higher but we've got all these other influencers who have smaller audiences or very niche audiences and we realized hey if you've got you want to work with us and you've got a two thousand dollar bar budget well guess what we've got this other guy we can point you to and men influential then is the inter they're the ones that help you find and i find that i could make money with this business by actually being the middleman and providing this great service and so that's how that business has just done incredibly well so i, I assume that business came about because you just made so many connections uh, yes. in, in the men's men's information world that and you also start to experience the sponsored content through primarily through YouTube, I assume, you thought, why not bring together all these people under an umbrella media company where you can kind of represent their content and bring the sponsors uh, to the right the right influencers and, and basically yes. take a, a cut from, from that. But a traditional media agency, really, nothing, nothing new there, but it's new format, new media. And correct me if I'm wrong, but YouTube has been really cutting down on sort of their advertising income, so it's not really a reliable source for most YouTube makers anymore. You really do have to look for alternative income streams and sponsored content's kind of like the main one at the moment, right? Is that kind of yeah? How you we'll get. I mean, I do pretty well. We'll get like five to six million, you know, views a, a month, and that only makes ten thousand dollars. Which some people I know that's that's a lot of money. And there, but here's the deal: is to get that many views, you're putting in a lot of effort. We're putting out four, five videos a week at a time, good quality ones. I, I've got a team now, you know, I've built up, we've got over 15 people. I just hired someone today and I'm excited, I'm, you know, and it's one of those things that you build off of your successes and you learn from your failures. So don't be afraid to, you know, everyone sees, yeah, you're making all this money with video now. And it's really, it's big, it's the sponsorships that come in, the big ones that work with us over the period of a year that come in and want to work with, you know, want to, want to pay, you know, it's, those are the, those are really where the business makes 
the majority of its money. You know, 70, 60%, 65% of our money comes out of advertising now. Mm. Unfortunately, that does it. And this is, you know, the good problem I have now is, oh, my information product sales have actually slipped because I haven't focused on them. Mm. That makes sense. So I'm actually looking for someone to hire to come in and help me revamp all of my information products. And I know that that's still so much of an opportunity, especially now, now that everyone's like seeing the shakeup and it's mm-hmm. like, wow, ebooks aren't selling as well as they used to. Well, that's right. Because you've got to continue to, to do better and give the best to your, uh, give the best to your audience, mm-hmm. to your customers. So maybe second last question here, uh, Antonio, what, what's the day in the life for you like right now? What, what do you personally do? So I, I wouldn't say it's a typical, I, ha, I don't have a typical day, but I do have a typical week. And a typical week is I try to take about three days off a week now. I, I'm constantly, I look at it like my kids, my four young kids are my priority. My wife is my priority and my friends are my priority. I traveled around for six months this last year. And the best thing about that is spending good time with my friends. Um, you know, I, getting to meet some of my heroes such as you at, at a conference in London, you know, the, and, but it's like when I went to that conference in London, it was, do I just go for two days or three days and be jet lagged, you know, there be jet lagged when I get back and not take my family? Or how about we go for all over three weeks and I just take everyone and we make it that t- we just have an awesome time. And I I just take my, my, my daughter, my daughter, Lana, she's nine. She wants, she's wanted to see Paris. Well, guess what? We spent five days in an apartment right next to the Eiffel tower. And that is my why. That's what motivates me. I mean, looking back at that, I'm like, it just puts a huge smile on my face that I was able to give my kids that. I gave my wife that. I was able to, and I get to, you know, it's part of my business. And I think that is for any entrepreneur out there going through tough, tough types, look at where you're headed. Don't look at it. Don't look at tomorrow. I mean, yeah, it's important. You got to pay the bills. You got to feed yourself. But also, but don't, and don't necessarily look at a month from now, but look at the 25 years from now. And, that I think is, I'm sure you heard, you remember 20 years ago, it seemed like a blink in the eye. It was like, where did it go? <laughs> and you're going to be, and so if you consistently look towards that big, you get that big, hairy, audacious goal and you're going towards it and you maintain your own standards and you, you realize that, Hey, I can't control a lot of things, but I can control the effort I put in each and every day. I can control the people I surround myself with. You know, it, that's that's a lot. That'll get you really far, in my opinion, in life. Okay, we, I think we missed out on the day in the life there, but it sounds like you mix it up as you as you go along. Is that? Oh, right? I totally, yeah, I totally <laughs> skipped that question. But you, you are good about bringing me back. So here's the deal. So it's a it's a typical week. My week, I get three days off. Then I have one day a week that I spend in meetings. Uh, one day a month that I usually give, you're, you're a little bit special. Like I, I don't, I, it's usually Thursdays or Fridays, but uh, you, I usually do all my interviews in one day, including my business uh, meetings with a lot of my, my team. Uh, I do have one team meeting that is usually on a Monday morning. And then I've got my manager meetings now that I'm back, usually at 8.30. But I try to keep it relatively uh, pretty flexible. I try to focus in on, uh, I, I enjoy my sleep, Sometimes I won't come into the office till 8.30. And that's a big change because I used to come in at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, and, but I only try to work about 30 hours a week now. And uh, again, a lot of time spending time with my kids. And, and that's where the time goes. But Fridays, I I take a lot of Fridays off. I try to give a lot of Fridays off to my team as well. My team, I there's a 35-hour work week at Real Men Real Style. Uh, and the reason I do that is I believe you should work hard and work 
work when you're here at work, but don't work in your off time. Mm. And, uh, and I want the, it's about priorities. It's about getting done the things that matter. And that's, that's the hard part, but I do find that actually limiting yourself. And I've got an office 800 meters from my house because nothing at my house allows me to do work. When I come to the office, everything is set. I've got four computers, multiple screens, things are, I mean, it's like I can jump right into work, but when I work, I work. And, um, when I'm home, I'm home. And you're still creating content. You, you just created a Bitcoin video like in the last couple of days, right? That's so. true. So a video for me is, is like a highest priority because when I create a video from that, I create 10 pieces of additional content. That video goes out. I never want, I don't edit my videos. I've got two editors. They'll slice and dice, create not only a YouTube video, but we'll create an Instagram video. They can take images from that video and use those. Then we've got the article that my writer then creates from that video. Then you've got the show notes or the, basically the bullet points from that video. Then you've got a transcript from the video. And if it's if I start talking about something in particular, we can even create images from the video, like an infographic. And if we create an infographic, I'll slice and dice that into like 20 other images. Um, then we've got thumbnails, uh, like little banners that go over on Pinterest from that video. So from that one video, I just laid out nine. I am sure there's other ones I don't even remember that we, but if it all starts with me creating that great video. Mm-hmm. Really good repurposing there. That's that's, and it's, well, I'm assuming it's working. Like all that content is is bringing you a new audience. Works in, you know, for, for it works in, right now in 2017, 2018. I think everyone's going to have to step up their game. So right now, I'm I'm focusing on how to increase the quality. And first up, I'm doing that by increasing the quality of my team. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, last last question, Antonio. So there are no doubt more than any other person listening to this will be a beginner, a person who doesn't have a successful business or a successful income stream, uh, maybe in the trenches building something, maybe still looking for their first business. Uh, I, should, I think they would really appreciate what you've said, in particular, hearing the, the bankruptcy, you know, the, the down, the, the rough part of the journey. And now the multiple companies, multiple million dollar companies all born from this sort of one passion you have for for helping men if they are at the starting point now that you've lived through so much and you kind of i think you have a pretty ideal lifestyle for an entrepreneur with a family that's fantastic what would you say to that person if they're feeling the self-doubt that it's ever going to work they're you know the cash is just not there that's usually the biggest first problem i'm not making enough money so what would you say to that person I would say, you know, we, we all go surround yourself with, with people. I mean, you got to have your cheerleaders. You got to have people find a community and have, and it's oftentimes multiple communities, this online journey, especially, you know, if you've got maybe an offline business, it's maybe a little bit better, but anytime you're an entrepreneur, you, you've got to surround yourself with the right type of people, people that can motivate you, people that can keep you going. I, I love putting together masterminds. If you can't find a mastermind you like, create one, reach out to people. I find that many people that are in a just starting position could actually get a mastermind together with people at a higher level by just being the person that's the scribe, that's the note taker, that is the person that does the work and brings them together. But I have all the success I've had is 
it's not because of, yeah, I mean, I put in the time and the effort, uh, but I, it's because I've built these relationships, as you pointed out, with everyone in my space. I try to be a go-giver. I try, I don't expect anything from anyone. Uh, I find that people naturally want to give back to you, but 75% of the time, and when they do give back to you, they want to double you know, the amount they give you or that you gave them. And uh and people remember that they 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 come back and I don't know what the answer is going to be for this person and what they're but I do feel that everyone can you know they can they can surround themselves with people they can they can work to make others feel great about themselves I've called up what people view as my competitors and just talk to them about how awesome of a job they're doing and I remember you know one guy just randomly called up you know I just as I was getting out of that industry a tailored suit and I just called him up for 20 minutes just to let him know that I wish him the best you know it's like I, I'm shutting down my business but man he, he I think what he does is phenomenal it's amazing and I wish him just all the best I don't know if he ever remembers me but I do know that it's not many people do that and to be able to yeah build up your your reputation is, is cool, but focus it on, you know, they say reputation is a reflection of your character and who you are. So make sure you never lose that. And for me, my, I think my natural superpower is maybe being able to, uh, you know, communicate and engage with people because I love it and I practice it. But, uh, but I do believe that anyone can surround themselves with amazing people and that's going to help them get through the tough times, help them get to a higher level. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice. I think probably the most important advice is that that echo chamber you exist in, make sure it's a positive one. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck in your own head. And that can be a dangerous place when things aren't going well. So, okay. Um, Antonio, where can we find you? There's so many different sites. Do you want to send just real men, real style as a starting point? Or Yeah, you- yeah. If they go there, they they get to see my, uh, my contact form, which I was really proud that Cal Newport used in his book. And they get to kind of see my insights in the way of like how I screen people and have fun with it. So I'll leave it at that. Just use my contact form at Real okay. Men Real Style. RealmenRealStyle.com. Fantastic. Uh, good luck. I, I love everything you're doing. I especially love that you're doing this in a non, you know, making money online niche. You're showing that this stuff works in, you know, uh, I guess, you know, clothing, if you put it simply, <laughs> how to dress well. So uh, that's great to see. And, and good luck with the, the upcoming year. It sounds like it's bigger and bigger things coming up. Yeah, I'm excited about 2018 is going to be great. All right. Awesome, Antonio. Thank you for listening in. And you've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. My name is Yarrow, and I'll talk to you very soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the EJ podcast. If you're interested in following in the footsteps of myself and many other successful people who use blogs to grow a business, then I invite you to download a free copy of my Blog Profits Blueprint Report, which has been downloaded over 150,000 times and is the starting point for many very successful bloggers today. It's an A to Z guide on how to choose a topic, market your blog, set all the technology up, and of course, make money from blogging as well. 100% free in audio and written text. You can get it from blogprofitsblueprint.com. Just enter your email address there and I'll send you a free download for the Blog Profits Blueprint. Thanks again for listening.